awesome, awesome job. Y'all want to be turning in your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 2 while I find my Bible. I got, I got the shaking hands and laid my stuff down. Bye, y'all. Anybody, middle school, if you got any middle schoolers, you visit our middle school. is called Emerge Ministries. It has a church service right next door, preaching a message designed just for middle schoolers. So uh, if you have someone with you, you want to be a part, follow those guys right there over into the sanctuary next door for the middle school service this morning. Galatians chapter 2. Um, if any of you have ever gotten a text message from me, there's a scripture at the bottom. Um, y'all know you go into your phone and you, you pick a, a signature. You put things down for your signature on a text message. And a long time ago, I put Galatians 2.20 as my signature at the bottom. So anytime I send out a message, that's at the bottom. Well, that goes to anybody and everybody, no matter who, no matter what, no matter when. When I send it out, it's Galatians 2.20. And sometimes it's people I don't know. Sometimes it's, it's people, um, even just stuff. I run a, a boat motor, a couple things on Craigslist for sale. And people send you a text for sale. I send it back. It goes Galatians 2.20. And a lot of people say, well, hey, thank you for the verse. Thank you for the scripture. Thank you for the text. And that's all, that's all well and good. Um, it's my prayer that, that it does do that. I pray that when you get a text and you see it, I hope you do look it up and see what it says. I hope you do look the scripture up. And I pray that it is a blessing to you. I, I pray that it's an encouragement to you. I pray that it's some help to you to get through the day. But to be honest, it's not on there for you. Not just to mean that rude in any way, but it's on there for me. I, I'm, I need constant reminders of this old weak, sinful vessel right here. I need constant reminders that the day is a day that the Lord gave me. And this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Sometimes I don't feel like rejoicing. Sometimes it didn't go just quite like I thought it should or thought it would. And sometimes I just need a little reminder. Well, on my phone, I will average between 3,000 and 5,000 texts a month. About half of those are going to be sent messages, so somewhere around 1,500 to 2,500 times a month, I hit send. It may be a reply to something you sent me, or it may simply be a verse just to let you know you're on my mind, or something that just says, hey, I'm praying for you today because God had you on my heart. But no matter the length of it, no matter the content, everything is Galatians 2.20, which means that somewhere between 15 and 2,500 times a month, I hit send, and my phone says... I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Whew. God, thank you so much. Thank you for loving an old sinner like me, God. Thank you for loving me enough to pay the ultimate price, God. Thank you for loving us, God. Lord, if there hadn't been anybody else in mind, you would have come just for us, God. If it, if it had just been one saved from the fires of hell, you'd have come just for the one, God. All we can tell you is thank you, Father. Thank you for being so incredibly good. God, I ask if you take this text this morning as we look at it, look through it, Father. I pray that you'd give us something out of it, God, that we'd walk out of here better servants for you. But even you said yourself, it's not servants, but children of God. We can walk out of here and cry, Abba, Father, because of what you did for us on Calvary's cross. God, I pray you'd help us to learn something that we'd be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, um, here, here in this 
particular passage, there are eight personal pronouns. Uh, the number eight in the Word of God represents new beginnings. If y'all have never been here when I did a study on the numbers of the Bible, just, just bear with me. The numbers are a very important thing. They, they tell us a lot in the Word of God. But the eight personal pronouns, and number eight represents new beginnings of which we got. The personal pronoun I is mentioned there in that verse five times. The number five represents grace in the Word of God. The number three represents the resurrection. And if you look, you'll find that Jesus Christ is mentioned three times, twice as the Christ and once as the Son of God. But we see his name three times in there, meaning the resurrection. But you'll also find of the eight personal pronouns that the other three is me. So what this verse tells me is that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of God's grace, I have a brand new life. Not anything I've done to earn it. Not anything I've done to deserve it. But because of Jesus Christ alone, I have a brand new life. I want to look at this text for just a few minutes this morning because the first thing this text does is it takes some things away from me. It says, I am crucified with Christ. I broke this sentence down and then I sent it to work with Robin to have her English teacher boss verify because I didn't want to tell you something that wasn't right. But I was very pleased. I actually got something right after all those failures in English. I got some things right. English wasn't one of my better subjects. Ain't that right? Um, I am crucified with Christ. The subject therein it is I. Am is a helping verb, but the action verb, the things taking place, is crucified. I am crucified. Then it has a preposition with, but the object of the preposition is Christ. Since am is the helping verb and crucified is the action verb, that means that the action has already been decided. That means that it's already done. I, I am crucified. That means it's already taken place. Now, not only if you look at the verb, is it a verb, but it, look at the tense of the verb. It is past tense. It has already happened. That verse is saying the same thing is I have been crucified. It's already been done. But here's the deal. On the day we accepted Christ, I have been crucified. I am crucified. I will be crucified. Jesus took care of it all. But I'm constantly, daily crucified with Christ. It's already been done. But obviously I wasn't physically crucified. That means that Christ did it for me. That means that Christ did it for us. I'll say me a lot more than I usually do this morning. But that's because this verse deals with I and me. Is the only reason for saying it there. But, but I don't have to share in the pain and suffering. I don't have to share in all the things that he went through on the cross. I don't have to share in, in all of the, the many things that Christ endured. I just get to share in the rewards. I just get to share in the eternal home of it because I am crucified with Christ. In the crucifixion, Christ took some things from me. He took my sin. He took my shame. He took my reproach. He took my failures and my weaknesses. He, he took my burdens. He, he took disappointments from me. He took all of my weaknesses. He took my old life. The action's already been completed and that he took that old life from me. It has is, is been completed in the past, but it has continuing results. It is it's not I was crucified, but I am crucified. Amen? So the subject is I, which is also me, which is also you. When you're the one reading it, this is a very 
personal text written to each one of us, personal pronouns to each reader. So the subject is us. We are the recipients because of what Christ did. Now, we can't crucify ourselves, nor can we be crucified for our sins. So Christ was crucified for us, crucified on our behalf. He went in our place. It's an indicative statement. It's, it's a statement of a well-known fact that Jesus Christ was crucified for you and I. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. That's a statement of fact. Jesus Christ did it, not me. It was done a long time ago for me, and the effect of it that I have is forever. The angry mob, we depict it here. The cross is here, and no, the cross is there. We moved it. It's in front there, but, but the cross and, and mats up there, and we depict the crucifixion of Jesus. And when Jesus is hanging there on that cross, you got the old Pharisees come by and laugh and scorn and, and have their things to say. And you've got the angry mob that came up and accused him in the trial. And they've plucked his beard and they've spit in his face and they've hurled all manner of insults at him. And they've said, if you are the Son of God, and they've made all their statements. And when everybody down here looks up, all they see is one man. But when God up there looks down on the cross, he looks down through the blood and he sees you and I over 2,000 years later. We look up, we see one man on a cross, but when God looks down, he sees the multitude that will come because of that cross. Jesus said, if I be high and lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. We come to the cross. He took something from us, but he also gave us something. He says, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He took our old life, but he gave us a brand new one. I, I, want, I want you to understand this. When we went to the cross, when we were saved, this new life that we have, this is not a reformed life. What, what Christ gave us is not an improved life. It's not even a changed life. It is an exchanged life. He took the old, and he gave us a new. When we come to the cross, he took that old life, that old life that was burdened, beat down, buried by sin, and he gave us a new life that has an eternal home in glory. A life that's a life that filled with sin is the one he took. A life filled with the Holy Spirit is what he gave us back. He didn't give us back the old life with repairs made to it. He gave us a brand new life. We've been studying Wednesday nights, the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been in chapter 15. But verse number 42, the Bible says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. It's kind of like going to the body shop. And you've wrecked your car, and every piece on it is bent. There's nothing left good. The windows are broken. The motor's locked up. The transmission's bad. The wheels fell off. The rear end's out. You go to the body shop, and you go, man, this thing is messed up. This couldn't get much. I need you to fix this. They said there's only one, fit, only one fix for that. And they give you a brand new one. Free of dents. Free of scratches. Free of any, any type of defects. They, they took something that was old. We had an, an old body. Even in the body, there's a day coming. We had an old body that was destined for the grave. But we got a new body coming that's destined for glory. So not only did God take something from us, 
Not only did he give something to us, but he gave something for us. The son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's two realities in that statement, to be honest. With every child of God, when we get up in the morning, we ought to remind ourselves of these two realities. This would have been a really good thing to have brought last week and to have made as part of last Sunday's message on avoiding discouragements. But since I didn't think about it last Sunday, the Lord gave it to me this Sunday. I'll give it to you now. It says point blank right there in our text, for everybody that's ever born, everybody ever born of a, of a woman, there, there's no, there's no um, favoritism. God is not respectful of any person. That means for anybody that is ever born, that statement simply says, God loves me. God gave himself for me. Everybody in here can say that this morning. God loves me. I got one amen. Let's practice it. Let's practice it. Let's about to say it together. You ready? Say, God loves me. Half of you, half of you got it. Wake the other half up. Tell them they can get, they can get back off and take a nap in a minute. Wake them up. Tell them we're going to say it again. Y'all ready? Say, God loves me. Amen. That means we agree. Now, now, now that you've got the saying down, now think about what you're saying. You ready? God loves me. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. God loves me. It doesn't matter that I can't afford my bills. It doesn't matter that, that my finances are upside down. It's in turmoil. It doesn't matter that everything seems to be working against me. I have no idea how we're going to get through another month. You ready? God loves me. It doesn't matter that, that my marriage is broken. We can't seem to get along. All we do is fight and argue. There doesn't seem to be any peace. We want things to be happy together, but it just can't seem to be happy together. And, the, and it seems like we stay away from home more to keep from coming together because all we do is fight when we get together. And we really want a happy marriage, but it's just not working out that way. It looks like divorce may be the only end, but you ready? God loves me. It doesn't matter that you went to the doctor and you got a report and the report wasn't what you wanted. It doesn't matter that you got a bad report that things aren't good and things aren't the way you want them to be and, and now you got all these doctor's appointments and things you weren't planning on in your life and all this stuff going on. All you got to do is say, God loves me. There will never be a time that God doesn't love you. So much so that he put Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross in our stead. Jesus said, John chapter 10 and verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father. No man took it. God gave it. In exchange for this old rusted out, beat up, sin-cursed body, God gave his only begotten son that he might give me a new eternal life that never ends. Whenever storms come our way, anybody ever have any storms come up in your life? 
whenever storms come our way, when it seems like hell shows up on the doorstep and the devil and all the devils of hell seem to be knocking at your door and all the things of the world seem to be closing in around you and it looks like the world and everything else is, is crashing in on top of you. You know those times when you wonder, does God really care? You know those times when you begin to wonder, God, God, can you even hear me? God, are you even there? Do you know what's going on? Those times when you wonder, does God really even love me? Just remember what he paid for you. Just remember what he paid for you. He died in our place. He took our old life of sin and gave us a new life of righteousness. He took away an eternal hell and he gave us an eternal room with a view. What a time for a song. But in order to, to give us something, he had to give something for us. So Jesus Christ gave his own life. I said on Wednesday night we were looking at the resurrected body and looking at how we will be like Christ. The, the human body isn't a sin. We, we talk about the flesh, and the flesh is that inner nature that we battle with. It's not so much the body. The body is not a sin. The body is a tribute to God. God said, let us make man in our own image. So we're made in the image of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ came to this earth and took on the form of a human body, and he didn't leave it here. He took it and went back to glory. He is seated on God's throne at the right hand of the Father in a human body. It's not the body that sins, it's the flesh within us, it's the battle, the things that we fight with. But we're going to be with him in glory and we'll see him as he is for we shall be like him. There's a day coming because of the new life. So there's one part here that we haven't yet looked at. He took some things from me and he gave something to me and he paid a great price for me. But he expects some things from me. The life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith to the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul wrote a letter to the church at Rome. In chapter 12, he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. But in verse number 2, he said, Be not conformed to this world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If we really believe that Jesus Christ died personally for us on Calvary's cross, then we ought to live life like we believe it. If we really believe that Christ forgave all that we did, anybody have anything in there needed some forgiving? Anybody, when you came to the cross, you brought all your sin, all your baggage, all your dirt. All of your past. Well, let, let's look past when you got saved. I don't, I, I'm pretty sure I ain't the only one in this church that I can't look past yesterday and see that I deserve hell. I, I messed up enough yesterday. But God looks past all that. Cleansing the precious blood of Jesus. I am crucified with Christ. My old life is dead. It's obvious that we're still living in this same old fleshly body for now. But it doesn't mean we live in the same old fleshly way. Anybody different than you were before you got saved? Anybody still a work in progress? God's still working on me. And, and, I, and there's a lot of work. I would be an expensive undertaking. Matter of fact, I'm so expensive that it costs God his only son. That's how bad I am. That's how wicked. But God just keeps on loving on us. But I thank God I'm not what I was. I'm just not what I'm going to be. Amen. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things 
become new. Here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1 is a, is a picture of amazing grace. New hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all, y'all see that? That's us. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God. Got to love those two words. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. It's raised us up together and made us sit together. Notice that's a present tense. God doesn't say we're going to sit or one day we'll be seated. God says, I see you there now. He can already see to the other side that we sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That was Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. But then in his first letter to the church at Corinth, he said in chapter 6, verse 19, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for ye are bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God took away our sins. God gave us a new eternal life, but God gave something for us. The believer's body was purchased. Our soul was purchased by Jesus Christ. Jesus died for us, but he expects us to live for him. There's a story in the Old Testament, and, and, I'm, and I'm done. But there's a story, all of you know it, it's about Joseph. And Joseph, being the youngest, he was his father's favorite. The Bible says he was his favorite because... He was born to him of his old age. And therefore, the brothers had a little jealous niche. You know, they, they didn't like it because of the father's little bit of favoritism to him. And he made him this coat of many colors. Well, Joseph had a dream. God showed him in a dream that his brothers were going to bow down before him. Probably not something you ought to tell to somebody who's already jealous. You all know the story. It made him dislike him all the more. So he went out to visit out in the wilderness, and they took him. They basically kidnapped him, put him in a hole till the band of Midianites came by, and they sold him, and he ends up a slave. Y'all remember the dream, right? The, the dream, his brother's going to bow before him. This means that some, time, some type of kingship. He's going to be something royal. He's going to be something good. The dream is that his brothers are going to bow before him, but his brothers sold him into slavery, and he ends up a slave in Potiphar's house. It doesn't take long until God begins to bless him there. You know, that's what happens when you just keep your eyes on God and realize it don't matter what's going on. God loves me. Amen. And I'm just going to serve him just because. And, and then he becomes the highest man in the land. The, other, than, other than Potiphar, there's, there's no one else greater than him. And he's, he's in the house doing all he's supposed to do. And Potiphar's wife decides she wants to slip him into a bedroom. And he says, that's not going to happen. So he remained loyal to his God, 
loyal to himself, loyal to Potiphar, and it landed him in prison. Because she, being upset by the fact that she was rejected, went and told a lie. So now he had a dream that his brothers are going to bow before him. And now here he is. Potiphar's mad at him because he thinks he hit on his wife. And he's locked up in a cold, dark, damp dungeon. Wonder if he never... You remember the dream, right? The dream was that his brothers would bow down. But, but here he is. See, God has promised you and I a new life. Regardless of the circumstances of this life. Regardless of the temptations of this life. Regardless of the things that we go, we go through. Regardless of the challenges that we face. There's an eternal life coming. There's something on the other side to live for that we ought to be living for him now. Genesis 39.9, his answer to it was, There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me. But thee, because thou art his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That ought to be the mentality of every Christian. That ought to be the mentality of every one of us in this room. How can I sin against God? That ought to be the mentality of every child of God every morning when we get up. Lord, don't let me sin against you today. Don't let me sin. Forgive me for yesterday. Help me to be better today. Even in the midst of the trials that we live in, even in all the temptation, all the things that we face in this world, we need to remind ourselves every day, I am crucified with Christ. He took some things from me. He took away my, my sins. He took away my failures. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He gave me something. He gave me a brand new life. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who... Well, the Son of God, right there, he expects something from me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he gave the greatest price. I may have shared it on Sunday. I don't know. I know I shared it on Wednesday as we were looking at life, trying to help understand this resurrected body um, and that there's a brighter day coming. And on Wednesday night, we used the kernel of corn. He called it a grain of corn. But... Paul said in that text we read a minute ago there in, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 42, he said that we are sown. We, we are sown and we are raised. We are sown and we are, we are raised. He doesn't say that, that we're buried. He doesn't say that we're, we're done away with. He's talking about a grain of corn, a kernel of corn. He says that we are sown. Well, when you take a kernel of corn and you sow it into the ground, the outside yellow part of the shell dies. And dissolves back into the ground. But the life lives on. And a new stalk comes up from it. This is the same. They're going to they're put this old body in the ground. And it will go back to the dust from which it came. But the life lives on. But there's a day coming. When Jesus Christ is going to step out. And he's going to call home those that has been washed in the blood. And all the other saints are coming with him. And the dead in Christ shall be raised first. And those of us which are alive and remain shall be caught up to be with them together in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We got something to look forward to. And it's greater than any of the trials that we're going through. It's greater than any of the problems that we're facing. I don't even have to ask, does anybody face problems? If you're in this room, if you're watching a live stream, if you're watching a television show, the answer is yes. You've either been through great problems, you're in great problems, or you're going to go through great problems, or all of the above. 
But God loves me in spite of me, in spite of my wickedness. Isn't that awesome? So how you stand on your feet this morning? The reason, the reason that text is on my phone is for me. It's for me because every day, matter of fact, if y'all see my signature change on the bottom of those texts that God loves me, y'all know what's up. Y'all know what's up. Every time I hit sin, it's a reminder. This life that I'm living, I'm living because of Christ. People ought to see Christ in me. The text I just sent that glorify Christ. The things I'm thinking, the things I'm doing, the things I do today, it's just a constant reminder. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe everybody else doesn't need reminders. I need reminders. I need reminders to help me get through the day. That when people look at you and I, this is what church is to them. If you invite people to church, however you're living, to them, that's what the church is like. If you're trying to tell people, hey, you need to be saved, I, 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 listen, today I got saved, best thing ever happened, and you're, you're trying to witness to them and lead them to the Lord, what they see in your life, that's what a Christian is to them. If you try to encourage them to read God's Word, they're not going to read it. Whatever you're living, that's what they see. And to them, that's what this book says because we claim to be Christians. I just want God to help me live a life pleasing to Him. Amen? If y'all want to take a minute this morning, come tell Him thank you for loving us the way that He does. Praise is always a good thing that God loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him, I'm a whosoever, y'all whosoever, anybody else a whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's certainly worthy of our praise and worthy of our thank you. I don't know, maybe, maybe you're in that line of problems we talked about. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your children are out there and you've been praying for your children, but they're out there living in the world and running from the things of God and you're praying and you want God to turn them around and bring them back. Um, whatever your situation is, it's always a good time to bring it and give it to God. So Lord, I just need your help. I'm, I'm praying. Galatians 2.20 is not my favorite verse. I don't know that I have a favorite verse. I think from in the beginning to amen is all on equal grounds for me. I don't really have a favorite verse. It's not even my life verse. Um, the verse that God gave me for preaching is right out there. Jeremiah 33.3, call unto me and I will answer thee. I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. That would be my verse that God gave me for preaching. It's just a reminder to me that I ought to live my life according to what the book says, that I am crucified with Christ. And if people don't see Christ in me, then I'm not living the way I ought to. And I wish I could say I never have any of those days, but I've had days I've had to call and apologize to some folks. I had days when I made some mistakes that I wished I wouldn't have made. When I laid down at night, nothing had changed. God loved me. Can I get you to bow your heads just for a minute, please, if you would? I want to ask you, Christians, if you'd be praying at the moment, that if there be anybody in this place that don't know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, may the Holy Spirit draw on this morning. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, listen, let me tell you, there is no other way. There's one way to be saved, 
His name is Jesus. He said, I am the way. Not one of them. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. It is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. If you're trusting anything else, it's going to land you in hell. If, if you're putting your hopes in anything else, even in your own works, if you think you can be a blessing to people, help people, pay money for people, not of works, lest any man should boast, it is Jesus Christ alone. If you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, would you be willing to do it this morning? There must be a confession of sins from your own mouth. Are you willing to say, Lord, I am a sinner? There's only two kinds of people in this room, and they're both sinners. Sinners saved by grace, sinners that's not yet accepted the free gift. If you want to be one of the ones that accepts the free gift, say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and save my soul in Jesus' name. It's not a magic prayer. That's just the Holy Spirit drawing your heart that would cause you to say that. And if you say a prayer like that from your heart to God, you're just as much a child of God as anybody else in this place because of the gift that Jesus Christ offered and because of the gift that you received. Old things have passed away. If you truly trusted Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, things will begin to change. Old habits will begin to break. You'll find yourself desiring to be in the fellowship of the children of God and not in the barroom. God will begin to develop a new thing, that new thing, because he took some things from us. He took away drug habits. He took away alcohol. He took away bars. He took away lust. He took away the things that we didn't need. And little by little, God's working on us to change us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ clay in the potter's hand. Isn't that awesome? He's still working on me.